Ink and Quill illuminates on literature, culture and beyond. That's cool, isn't it? Listen to the sound of some incredible readings. The Great Wall story is the story of the relationship. The imagery in China is so strong. It's a book about the human story. Ink and Quill. Something provoking. You have to think like a queen. Something thoughtful. History's fantasy, really. Something fun. See some naughty people trying to steal panda cubs. All here on Ink and Quill. Discovering literature and following the stories behind your favorite authors. This is Ink and Quill. I'm your host, Yang Yong, right here in Beijing. This week, the annual National College Entrance Examination Test, or widely known as Gaokao in Chinese, finally dropped its curtain. For the 9.4 million high schoolers who sat the exams this year, the grueling two-day test is the most important make-or-break moment in their youth, since their scores are the sole determinant for their entry to higher education. However, did Chinese predecessors fight their way to universities in the same way? What is the difference between the test papers of today and those that were issued 80 years ago? So, first up in today's program, let's follow Wang Ling for the answers, as she introduces us to the new book, Examinations Papers During the Republican Era, or in Chinese, Mingguo老试卷. It's that time of the year again, a time when millions of fresh-faced 12th graders scribble on papers like there's no tomorrow. Fretful parents and grandparents beleaguer every street near test venues, while all the other activities in this country seem to come to a halt in order to create the optimal atmosphere for these undergraduate wannabes. This is Gaokao, one of the most important and high-stakes exams in China. Established in 1952, this college-bound test is not only regarded by many as the future-defining opportunity, but is also treated with a great delicacy as a cardinal state affair. Yet, in the eyes of 85-year-old Yue Daiyun, a professor of literature from Peking University, her college entrance exam was far less stressful compared with the kids of today. Since my relatives and some of my friends' kids take the test, I always feel anxious for them. I witness their painful struggle. During the final year of their high school, their entire life seems to be under the thumb of their test papers. Their pre-Gaokao period is quite taxing, but when I look back, mine was not that intense. I graduated from Guizhou High School in 1948. Around that time, there was a different set of test papers provided by every college. Taking National Chengqi University, for example, their questions were quite politics-oriented. Among all the schools I applied, Peking University was the most open-minded. They even asked me to write an English essay on rain. The recently published book, Examination Papers During the Republican Era, or in Chinese, Mingguo老试卷, is a fitting testimony for her memory. Compiled by the established educators Yao Qizhang and Yao Qicong, this archive-like publication collects more than 300 college entrance exam papers from over 50 universities. 
Arranged by different subjects and mingling with anecdotes of historical figures, the book serves as a perfect prisma to peek at the social context of China in the first half of the 20th century. Liu Lihua is the deputy editor-in-chief from New Star Press. Pointing at a question raised by National Central University in 1936, she says the tests around that time might be more down to earth than the current exams. 那么下面呢，又是这个考地理啊，这个呃也是，其实也是非常结呃结合现实的。Although this question is about geography, it has great practical significance. At that time, the northeastern part of China was occupied by the Japanese, so the question asks students how to develop the northwest region and requires them to answer it from different perspectives, including terrain, climate, and economy. So it examines something that is much more comprehensive than pure academic performance. I remember when I attended the geography exam in the 1970s. They asked me which country produces the most cotton, which is not that challenging. As today's scholar only allows students with higher marks to land in better universities, Liu emphasizes that scores were not decisive in the early days. When I look over all those exam questions in this book, I'm not only amazed by their application to real life. I'm also impressed by the autonomy of teachers. For instance, the famous scholar Wen Yidao once said two essays and asked students to pick one of them. The poet Zhangke Jian not only answered both of them, but gave a very concise answer to the second one. One was very satisfied. So, despite Zhang's failure in math, he still took him in. You see, teachers around that time had a say in admission. In that case, they recruited the most outstanding talents in various fields. Flipping through the pages, readers might be shocked by the complexity of those begun questions. In the Chinese exam, students were asked to comment on Chiang Kai-shek's inaction during the war against Japanese aggression, and how to solve problem of rural bankruptcy. During a test called citizenship, they were required to discuss the relation between population and productivity, and students were also tested on their ability to translate ancient Chinese scripts into English. But is this book really relevant today? Besides nostalgia or curiosity, why should we read examination papers from the 1940s? Ma Yong, a researcher from the Chinese Academy of Social Sciences, provides his answer. When we look into the younger generation, we can see they are trained by this standardized education system. They spend most of their time in classroom rather than doing something extracurricular. They study for the sake of passing exams. If we want to revitalize our education in the future, we should go to history and tradition for help. At least we could learn from their structure and mindsets. That was Wang Lin introducing us to the book examination papers during the Republican era, or in Chinese, 民国老试卷 So if you have time, why not try your hands at these questions and to see whether you could be enrolled or not? You are listening to Inconquil with Yang Yong. Stay tuned. We will be back soon. Explore the life of great wordsmiths. Share their stories beyond the pages. 
Ink and Quill brings you the voices of writers and book lovers. Welcome back. This is Ink and Quill. Nowadays, everything is changing fast, including the world of words. Printed books are on the brink of being replaced by digital readings, while dazzling new media platforms constantly pop up, transforming the buying habits and reading culture. In that case, in order to approach audiences, how should stories be told? Well, Story Drive, an international forum that enables content owners to innovate and grow their business, might be able to provide some ideas. During the recently concluded China International Fair for Trading Services, our reporter Li Ningjin talked with Yogen Bush, president of the Frankfurt Book Fair and organizer of Story Drive. Can you tell us a bit about Story Drive? How did it come into being, and why it is called Story Drive? Yeah, it's a concept we developed a few years ago, actually together with、uh, many colleagues from all over the world.、Uh, Which is actually mirroring what's happening in our traditional publishing industry. We are seeing a lot of new players coming into the field, actually from other media、um, industries like the film industry,、uh, the, the TV industry,、um, the, the games industry, and also we see a lot of changes, new publishers arising, like a museum、uh, which is publishing its own books, yeah, which has. A, Used to have a publisher before as a service provider. Now they're doing it themselves. So we have to host these people and we have to bring them together because they didn't are not used to talk to each other. They have to learn from each other. And actually, Story Drive. The name comes from if you tell a story, it doesn't matter which media you choose. Yeah, you can tell it by sitting by、uh, the campfire. It can be uh, um, an, an animated uh, uh, story. It can be a moving image. It can be an audio book. It can whatever. But it's all about the storytelling, which is the backbone of our conference now. During this Story Drive forum, there have been some speakers talking about the future of publishing in face of challenges posed by technology advancements and also opportunities. They mentioned about. The flourishing of online literature in China. What's your take on this? And do you see such a phenomenon in German? No, actually, we have a completely different situation in Germany.、Um, the online sales, especially the e-book sales, have been quite stable for the past, past two years, and it only has a market share of about seven percent. If you、uh, compare this to North America, where you have market shares up to thirty percent, it's really nothing. But this might have to do with、uh, the infrastructure we have in Germany. We still have, for a relatively small country, we have three and a half thousand bookstores. You can find printed books all over. So actually, it has not the need for electronic books as there is in North America, where you have these distances. And here, it's in China. It's also driven by the educational sector very much. I think China is pretty advanced in a regard of electronic reading. I know some Chinese publishers bring their books to the Frankfurt Book Fair every year. How would you comment about their performance at that fair? As we can see, the participation from Chinese publishers is growing every year, and actually, it's not only from China, but especially from Asia. And it has a lot of business in Asia now, which hasn't happened in the past before. As I said, it was more between English language and other languages, but now it's、uh, it has a very strong business. We had this example this morning when an Indian publisher、uh, 
provided his view on his market and he's telling us yeah he has to publish in different in many languages he's doing english language but he's also doing hindi or urdu it's what's really changing so there will be more business for chinese publishers in the years to come i know mr booz has dedicated most of his career time in the traditional print but i still have to bring up this topic about digital books After some years of growth, we are seeing signs of e-book sales slowing down and the revival of books and traditional bookstores. What makes people return to traditional books? Why they turn away from digital reading? And what is the future like for traditional books? I think uh, digital reading and reading on printed books, it's complementary. Yeah? It's sometimes easier if you're traveling to access content via your smartphone. It's uh, easier to get a, uh, information. But uh, on the other hand, if you have some time, if you want to focus, and print is more important. So it, it exists all at the same time, but it has a different function. Yeah? And this we had to understand, that digital is not replacing, but actually it's, um, it's complementary. Yeah? And, and also we had to develop new formats so if you embed images, if you embed films, if you embed music into digital content, this really makes sense for the smartphone or for an iPad or for whatever device you use. It's a different form of content which is enriched. Books have been around for now for 600 years uh, and, and you still can read these books which are 600 yeah. years old. And, and I think in the past 10 years I had like 40 smartphones, yeah? so they got outdated every six months. So that's how you see how it's moving on. And as I said before, it's more about the storytelling and it doesn't matter what media you use. And storytelling is not going to go away. In your belief, what are the most important elements to make a good book? Storytelling? It's the storytelling, it's the author. The author is the most important thing actually. Mm -hmm. yeah? And also if you, if you think about translations, the translator has to be good, as good as the author. It's also about the quality of the author. And it needs a publisher to find the audience for this, yeah? who knows its target group, who knows which format, yeah? who has a quality function, a distribution function, a curating function. So it's a lot of people in the value chain which are involved. And they all have to play together, national and internationally. We now have digital books and apps about books web stories and of course we still have those books made with a state of art craft. As a man who's uh, spent most of your career in publishing, would you be able to foresee what future books are going to be like, say in 20 years time? Oh, 20 years is quite a long time. But what we're seeing right now actually, which is developing, that the luxury brands like Louis Vuitton and Hermes are investing into books or into publishing. Yeah? So obviously some books tend to become a luxury good, like a handbag or expensive shoes. And this is quite, quite interesting. You mentioned beautifully bound books, but there are also books with uh, limited, where you can only get like a thousand copies and it's signed by the author or by an artist. So a book also becomes an object of art. So we see a lot of transformation there. And I think this will um, uh, speed up this process, that we will develop new forms of books. Okay, Mr. Booth, thank you very much for your insight about the story drive and also about books. That was Li Ningjing talking with Jürgen Booth, president of the Frankfurt Book Fair, as they discussed different phases and facets of storytelling. 
Well, it's time to take a break and lay back. Coming up is book chat, where our reporters will check out some exciting book-related news from around the world. What caught the attention this week? Please stay with us to find out. How to adapt a thriller into a movie? What is your favorite toilet reading? And when to give up on paperback? Want to know the answers? Join our discussion about all the trendiest topics on Ink and Quill. Hello, this is Book Chat with Doris and Shi. Okay, Doris, what's on your mind recently? Well, Harry Potter is back again. Yay! <laughs> But this time, he's making his stage debut in a new London play that imagines the fictional boy wizard as a father of three in、Ooh. the latest offshoot of the globally successful franchise. The play, named Harry Potter and the Cursed Child, is set 19 years after the seventh and final book. So, like many of his fans, Potter has now grown up and has three children with his wife Ginny Weasley, who is, you know, as everybody knows,、uh, the sister of his best friend Ron, and he's also a civil servant working at the Ministry of Magic.、Mm-hmm. And he still has his trademark round-rimmed glasses and scar on his head, a permanent <laughs> reminder of his nemesis, Lord Voldemort. But must now help his youngest son, Albus, confront the family's dark past. So ahead of the world premiere on July 30th, Harry Potter's birthday, the first part of the preview for the play began on June 7th, while the second began on June 9th. Wait, so does it mean people have to pay twice to finish the whole story? It's kind of like watching the final two Harry Potter movies. Yeah, you have to go to the cinema, or in, in this case, go to the theater two times to see the complete story. Well, here is the question that has been bothering me for a really long time: Should J.K. Rowling get over Harry Potter? I mean, besides this play, we have that upcoming movie, Fantastic Beasts, and Where to Find Them. So it sounds like she starts to use the franchise as a cash cow. Well, there are a lot of interest in Harry Potter. First of all, even though it's it's been nearly ten years since、um, the last book was published,、yeah. people、um, still wants to know where Harry Potter come from, what's his lineage, who his great 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 grandfather is. You know, what? <laughs> there's But- this curiosity about the character and also about this world that J.K. Rowling has created. There are so many characters with. Untold stories, like people are still wondering, you know, what's the background of Neville Longbottom? Where did he come from? Oh yeah. <laughs> so But the problem is, don't you think it's a little bit risky? Cause she moves these characters on two decades. Fans learn. Fans already learn the original plot by heart. They have their own theories and own ideas. And in this new play. She could totally break them down by throwing out something new, something unexpected. You know, some fans probably don't want their own ideas about what happens to be compromised. Well, for some fans, I'm sure they'll be disappointed because Harry Potter probably didn't turn out to. 
turn out the way that they wanted him to. Yeah. For example, um, I read some theories online saying that Harry Potter might become a spy and track down um all the uh death? servants, all the Death Eaters There's- that are left over from the war, <laughs> and maybe like this play doesn't present him in that cer- um, particular position. Maybe Harry Potter is just a normal um employee at the Ministry of Magic who does paper. Work every day. Um, <laughs> some fans are going to be disappointed, while others like maybe this will confirm their theory about what Harry Potter will turn out to be like. Maybe they do think that he will become a normal husband, um, have a normal family life. You know, maybe he can get some peace and quiet after all these conflict with um, Lord Voldemort. But don't you think we really need this play? A tale set in the future. I mean, for me, the Harry Harry Potter saga already got the perfect ending. For me, I mean, there's still mystery after. Well, maybe not. They all lived happily ever after, but、mm-hmm. all is well, as the last line says in the Harry Potter series.、Um, I'm still wondering、um, what happened in between the end of the、uh, war against Lord Voldemort and nineteen、uh, um, years later when he's sending his kids off to school. Like, what happened in between those nineteen years that、uh. led to that point in the beginning of this play? Sorry, still sounds like Star Wars series to me. Well, you can say it like that, but、uh, it's it's different. It's a different world. It's a different story. And、um, the thing about this play is, it's not focused. It doesn't seem like it's focused on Harry Potter. The、mm. character. It's more focused on the next generation, the、mm-hmm. um, Harry Potter's children and their struggles at school. Maybe it's different from the、um, time period when Harry went to school. Maybe his kids are finding it difficult adapting to school rather than、uh, when Harry went to school. Like there's this big threat. That's Lord Voldemort. Now Lord Voldemort is gone. His kids aren't facing the same struggle as he did. They'll face a different kind of struggle. Maybe、um, his friends or his children will become friends with the、um, son of Draco Malfoy. <laughs> you, you, never know. you never know. Maybe he'll end up in Slytherin. It, there's all those kind of possibilities, and I've always been wondering what the Slytherin house is like. You know, what are the different <laughs> personalities of the、yeah. students? Yeah. There, yeah, yeah. So there are all these different theories out there after the Harry Potter series was published, and now we're just、um, getting a confirmation from the author herself, J.K. Rowling, who's going to say in this play, "This is what will happen." Instead of having all those、uh, theories being thrown around in yeah, the world, yeah. But I'm curious because I know the show is written by screenwriter playwright Jackson. Yeah, and so it's based on the original story written by J.K. Rowling. I'm I'm be curious about is this play going to turn up to be the eighth Harry Potter book? Well, I don't see this as a eighth Harry Potter book. As I said, it's not about Harry Potter. It's about about his children. I see this as um、uh, something similar to Fantastic Beasts and Where to Find Them and、uh, <laughs> Quidditch Through the Ages.、Um, a story that's separate from the Harry Potter series, but still take place in the universe of Harry Potter. Hmm. 
maybe we could expect a sequel to the Harry Potter and the Cursed Child, since, as you said, the next generation is the main focus right now. There could be, you know. Right now, we don't know the plot line, and J.K. Rowling has forbidden any of the audiences、um, <laughs> that are going to the preview to reveal the plot line、um, to us. So we don't know what the story is, and hopefully, after watching this play, we will have some answers about Harry Potter,、um, about either his past or his future,、mm-hmm. and um, I think.、Um, People will get a lot more answers than questions at the end of watching this play. Hope so. Yes. Snippets of timeless classics with ramblings on everything bookish. Ink and Quill connects you with literature, culture, and writers in China and around the globe. That was Shu and Doris discussing J.K. Rowling's latest play, Harry Potter and the Cursed Child. Okay, it's time to wrap up today's program. Don't forget that there are always more interesting happenings in the literary world. To learn more about us, you are always welcome to follow our Facebook account, China Plus. Thanks for tuning in. I'm Yang Yong. Goodbye.